love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Woman podcast. I'm your host, Haley Chura, and I'm joined by the queen of the Adirondacks. Can I call you that, Alyssa? Alyssa Gadeski. Um, you know, is that an okay title? Yeah, I'll take that. I mean, I feel like I should for as long as I can. So <laughs> at least the queen of the high peaks of the Adirondacks because you did scale them faster than any woman before you. So I think you got to live that one up for as long as you can. That's true. I am still very quite, quite proud of that. And I, I will continue to carry that through for a while, but I'm doing well. I am not climbing any of the high peaks these days, but I'm I'm like marathon training, Haley. I don't know if I've like told you this, but and no, I realize you haven't. I this might be slightly delusional, listeners. I understand. Um, I'm holding out like some glimmer of hope that perhaps there might be a marathon that happens in the March timeframe. And I just was ready to, you know, try and get some speed back in my legs and do like a an actual training block, right? So I am marathon training in hopes that the Myrtle Beach Marathon is happening in early March. Um, I realize again, that might be delusional and if it's canceled, it's canceled, but at least I'll be getting some good training in my legs. But, um, Haley, I feel like this time last year you were marathon training. So now I'm like remembering little tidbits that you were saying where you were doing workouts, being like on the treadmill, feeling like you would fly off the back, wondering how you would make it through and things like that. So I'm like, okay, this is all, all completely normal. Um, but yeah, that the, um, we won't have to discuss the fact that the paces you were trying to hit were much are much faster than the sub three pace where I just need to hold like a 652 pace to break three hours, which would be a pretty big deal for me. It's something I, I would love to do in my like athletic time. But um, finding that kind of speed for 26.2 miles is doesn't come naturally to me. So we're working on it, but it's tiring. Yeah, that's fun. I'm excited to get this kind of breaking news. And are you doing a lot of treadmill? Because when I was training for a marathon a year ago, I'm in Montana. It's really snowy outside. And so it is very hard to run fast outdoors. And so I did have to do, I did kind of balance my aerobic runs outdoors in the snow where I was going significantly slower than <laughs> race pace, but then I would get the foot speed part from the treadmill. Is that what you're doing? Mm, I probably, I'm actually running outside more than I normally would, like more than for an Ironman build or something like that. And it's actually a little bit like it's been an adjustment for me because where I live now in Culpeper, it's like country roads. I mean, the town's quite small. And so to get to kind of a place to run, you're on just like these country roads that have like, you know, no center line. It's just like two cars could barely fit as they like pass each other. And so it's different because it's like rural road running. And so you can see, you know, and it's flattish, like Myrtle Beach is going to be a pretty flat marathon. So I'm training on flatter roads and you can see like down the road for, <laughs> for like a mile, mile and a half. And that's like, you know, I used to in Charlottesville, we had one flat place to run. So if I was trying to run this fast, I was running like back and forth on a two mile flat path in the river, you know, park. And so doing it this way is, is definitely different and figuring out how to run fast 
like on roads outside like that is different for me, which is, is funny how that is, I guess. But, um, I am starting to get some treadmill speed now added in because my poor little legs don't really want to turn over too fast. And so I've, I've come like kind of close. Like I've been, you know, I did a 800s, the classic marathon 10 by 800s, right. And your, um, Yasso 800s, you're trying to run your 800 in your projected marathon time. And so, you know, I was trying to run 255 to three minutes for my 800s and my little legs just would not turn over. And I was like 301, 301, 302, 302. And I was like, you know, as hard as I tried to go out and like blow up to just see if I could even get out faster than a 90 second quarter, it wasn't happening. So we're doing some treadmill stuff to try and hopefully like rip the bandaid off the speed legs and see if I can get them turning over a little faster. And then I'll get back on the track in a couple weeks and see how that goes. So, um, it's, yeah, I mean, I think at this point, a lot of what I'm doing is, is pretty traditional, like marathon stuff, but, um, it, it's been, I mean, 2015 was the last time I raced an open marathon. So it's been a while. You've run a lot of distance in the past. Like we talked about running the Adirondacks more than a hundred miles, running the long trail more than 200 miles. And so I am curious about your fatigue level when you're adding in fast running, because that was something that surprised me a lot when I was training for the marathon was that I could do a run that was like 50 minutes long, but with a certain amount of marathon pace in there and it would destroy me. It was so hard. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the, you know, a 10 mile tempo run for me is like enough I have for the day, you know, like that's plenty, you know, and I have really no other effort to do other stuff. And, um, you know, when I'm Ironman training, you're obviously doing, well, I do a lot of high volume. So it is quite different from that because like trying to hit those speeds takes so much out of me that my overall volume is, is lower than it, it normally ever is. And so the fact that, you know, I have done quite long distance runs and multi-day efforts doesn't help me there, I guess. Like hard is hard and it, which is good, right? That's like reassuring, I guess, that I'm, I'm putting in good work and I kind of embrace that. Like I like, I like only having like 60 to 80 minutes of work sometimes during the day, like of hard workout time. Right. And then I, I actually really like that feeling of feeling like you can't get off the couch because your legs are so tired. So it's enjoyable in that sense. A lot of bang for your buck. Are you still swimming or riding at all? I am. I'm doing mostly, well, I'm swimming some workouts and stuff and trying to keep a grasp on that. I am lucky enough that the pool is, you know, still open and I can reserve lanes and I'm season two of my Zwift racing actually starts tomorrow. So, um, I will do a Zwift race once a week on Tuesdays and then everything else though is, is pretty easy. I'm still playing around a lot on the mountain bike and still learning a lot of skills there. And so I'm, I'm definitely doing, um, but my focus, I guess, like my energy is getting poured into the running. And then like, if my legs don't feel good, I'll just like kind of keep the biking easier and things like that. Well, it sounds like you are finding time to keep the enjoyment high and found a new adventure, one that definitely challenges you in a different way. This could be the theme of 2021, maybe. Um, but this is fun. I'm excited to follow your breaking three adventure, Alyssa Gadeski, Myrtle Beach Marathon. Would you do a virtual marathon if the Myrtle Beach Marathon didn't happen? No, I, you know, and I love like, 
I, I mean, to be fair, I just, I feel like what it's going to take for me to run under three hours is like a race environment, right? I think that, you know, I just, I don't want to try and channel the like mental toughness it would take to run under three hours on my own, like alone or with one other person pacing or something like that. Like that, that doesn't really excite me. Um, so yeah, I, I think if it's, if it doesn't happen, I might like play with the fitness and see if something else is happening and whatever, but otherwise then it's just a good training block in the bank. And I needed to spend some time kind of getting speed back in my legs. So, you know, it's definitely not all for not no matter what. Well, this is a good um, episode for you because today we are talking a little later to Alyssa Dela, who is was a professional runner, is still a very speedy runner. And she tells us about her, some of her marathon experiences, which put my marathon experiences to shame. So this can be like the the triathletes do marathons uh, episode. I know. <laughs> Please don't title it that. I don't come up with the titles, obviously. I feel like if we were going to title it that, we probably would have done that after our Atlanta recording episode where we talked to the the professional triathletes who were running in the Olympic trials with yourself. But um, but that can it can happen this week too. But Haley, I need an update. I don't think we were recording when we talked about this last week, but for our listeners. So last week I was talking about woe is me with first world problems and wanting to get my nails done and not going because of COVID. And Haley said, oh, I did this thing called Manny Me. And she's like, it, lo- it works. You've all, you know, like it's the same. And she showed me her nails on the video thing and they looked good. But I'm just seeing that maybe they're not on now. Are they- I can't see. I took them off. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So, so Haley now. I, I did it. Off. I just did it today. Oh, you did them? Yeah, I got them today. You did your Manny Okay. Our listeners, I had never really investigated this. I knew there was a phenomenon in the recent, like, you know, time where nail stickers existed, right? And so, like, I knew people, like, I'd get invited to, like, Facebook group for, like, a nail sticker party or something. And I was like, I'm not doing nail stickers. But now with COVID, I'm like, give me all the nail stickers because I need help. And so when Haley demanded me, I went in, I investigated and I was like, oh, this looks like really legit. You have to scan like a 3D scan of your nails and they like send you these custom ones. I was like, okay. So I got myself all set up. They came today and I put them on. And I would say, Haley, I, I mean, they, for like, they look the same as if I just got a gel manicure. I will say that. They look good. I can so, see them from here. They do yeah. look good. And I'm I think only this two hours is in though. They'll be Did you put a top coat on them? I did. I got the top coat. I got a base coat too actually. I oh. went all in. I got the cuticle pen. I know. You are <laughs> you like at shipping. Home. Well, you got free shipping if you had more than like a $30 cart. So I was like, okay, like the base coat was $8, you know, and it's so anyway, I did cuz I was like I would keep doing this. This would be fun because you could like, they have designs and stuff. So anyway. Yeah. I took mine off, but it wasn't because they, like I didn't like them and they actually come off very easily. And my problem was that my left hand was done much better than my right, which is because I'm right-handed and I was doing it kind of late at night. And I, I did want to test it with swimming because that was my big worry is like, is it going to come off in the water? And I had one nail come off, but they do give you some extras. And so that was, um, I did put like one extra on there and it was, that was my, my biggest problem. But then they, mine were just growing out. I think my nails grow pretty fast. And so I would do it again. I mean, I got, it was like a free, um, goodie bag thing that I got when I did it. And I was like, Oh, I'll just try this. And I would definitely, they have some fun colors. And, um, I know we sound like we're like sponsored by Manny V we are not, 
we're just we are people who like fun nails but don't really want to go to the nail salon right now and i will i will give a shout out to my friends um megan and coco who like really did convince me that they were like worth trying and my sister hannah who told me about the goodie bag because we had both attended this online seminar and she's like try these in the goodie bag and i was like okay so anyway yeah definitely worth trying for sure so we're not sponsored by manny me but we do have a new sponsor for 2021 and if you were listening last week then you caught that um introduction but we wanted to talk to you about Prevenex because they are the new Iron Women podcast sponsor for 2021 that's coming on board. And Haley, I did a little Instagram story today on the Feisty Triathlon Instagram where I told people that the three products that I use on a regular basis, I've been using the multivitamin, the joint supplement, and the probiotic. Um, what about you? What are your what's your favorite Prevenex product? I think the probiotic is my favorite at the current and oh the joint joint health, um, which is that one, that one was, um, when I first heard about the product, I did talk to one of my athletes who is a doctor and that was the product that she was most excited about just from a joint health standpoint of like collagen is, is a good supplement to take. And even if you aren't someone who has joint pain, I think that it can be, you know, just good to help prevent it. And then probiotics, I'm all about gut, gut health. <laughs> like that's just like one of those things like healthy guts are just make all of life better. Right. Alyssa, but how, how about you? Like, do you have a favorite of the three? Mm, I will say that I think I'm with you on the joint health and the probiotic because guys, when you're running a lot and you're running hard, you need your stomach in working order. And so, you know, I would say right now on the top tier is that probiotic because I need things working regularly because I'm going out for my hard <laughs> running, which we already talked about and country roads where you can see really far in the distance. Spoiler <laughs> alert. There's not a lot of trees like in the track fields winter. where I'm running. There's, yeah. There's no leaves. <laughs> There's so no a lot coverage. of problems with that. Yeah. I need a good, good, um, stomach in working order. And so that definitely, I, you know, noticed the improvement there. And, um, for our listeners, you know, Haley and I both talked to David at Prevenex quite a bit while we were learning about the supplements and, um, just talking to them as a company, as a sponsor for the podcast and things like that. And we definitely, you know, had a lot of questions that we got answered. So if, if you do have questions about the supplements or the company, always, you know, you can write into the mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and, and ask us and we'll try and answer or find you the, that answer because we do know, you know, supplements can be kind of a hot topic on things, but we got a lot of good answers and feel really good about the quality of products that we're getting. Yeah, Alyssa, I was kind of skeptical on the, like taking a supplement, do I need it? And I also do get a little bit concerned about su supplement contamination and anti-doping. And that was something that David walked me through a lot of their testing process and, you know, testing results and how they do batch testing of raw materials and finished product to uh, kind of help me feel comfortable taking the supplement and knowing that I can go into a drug test with confidence. And so I, I really appreciated him taking the time to walk me through all of that. And um, I, I trust the product and I, otherwise I wouldn't be telling anyone else about it. <laughs> and so as our listeners, you guys can get 15% off your orders at Prevenex.com with the code 
ironwomen15. So check them out and let us know what you think. Alyssa, I heard we got a couple mailbag questions this week. I'm excited. If anyone else wants to write into our mailbag, the address is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. But Alyssa, who has written in? Are we going to answer all of them or just one this week? Haley, we're going to tackle one question because our interview with Alyssa, we want to give plenty of time for. And so the question comes from Katie and she is wondering if we are both members of the PTO, why or why not? Great question, Katie. So the PTO is the Professional Triathlete Organization. If any of our listeners aren't familiar, we did a a great conversation with Rachel Joyce and Sarah Piampiano last, was it December? I mean, it was like yeah. a little over a month ago about the, their maternity and parental leave policies. And so that kind of, it, it touched on what is the PTO a little bit and um, some of their policies. So it is sort of a... Um, organization for professional triathletes. They put on Challenge Daytona. They put up all the money for Challenge Daytona last month. So that was why that that race had that record-setting prize money. And yes, I am, this is Haley, I am a member of the PTO. So I did sign up, it's like signed a contract to be part of it um, a little under a year ago. And part of that was because I was ranked in the top 100, um, of the PTO rankings at the, it was as of like March 15th, 2020 was when they froze the rankings because of the pandemic. And they had planned to have a year end payout, um, a 2020 year end payout in, um, but because of the pandemic, they froze the rankings and they paid that money in March of 2020. And so for me to receive that money, I did need to join the PTO, which I did enthusiastically and they did pay me. And so I appreciated that um, support last year, which was, you know, it's, it was not, I didn't race. There were, I mean, I raced the marathon Olympic trials, but that wasn't a triathlon. So it was, uh, you know, a rough year for most of us. And so it was interesting and unexpected and appreciated that the PTO came out in support of the athletes like that. And so as Haley and I were talking about this question ahead of time, when I realized that she had signed a contract, that made me think that maybe I am not a member of the PTO because I have not signed a contract with them. Um, I, I definitely wasn't ranked high enough in that top 100 for the payouts. Um, so that could be part of it, Katie. But um, basically, I'm not sure. And I'm going to put it on my to-do list to investigate if I am a member or not and kind of like what it means to be a member officially and things like that. I feel like I th- I thought I had kind of raised my hand and submitted things and emailed the right people, I guess, when it was all coming to fruition. But definitely sounds like maybe not. And so um, I'm not sure, but I support the PTO and what they're doing and, you know, would be a member um, and support it in that way. I just probably need to contact the right person and make sure my email is on the list or something. (laughs) But great question, Katie. And I'm sure we'll be talking more about the PTO in the coming year as they prep for hopefully that Collins Cup race, which is supposed to be happening in June and I think June, Samarin, Slovakia. And um, who knows what else they have up their sleeve. Rachel teased that there might be a, a race series that is coming out that's similar to Daytona. So we'll see. I mean, we're it's hard to plan anything right now here in early 2021, but we are hopeful. So thanks again. And if anyone else wants to write into our, our mailbag, 
our mailbag. It is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, you teased it a little bit, but tell us more about Alyssa, who we are talking, the other Alyssa who we're talking to today. Yes, Alyssa Gadeski, you know I love a dual Alyssa show, and that is what we have today. So frequent listeners probably remember my quick race recap conversation with Alyssa Dela just after she finished 11th at Challenge Daytona a little more than a month ago. And so Alyssa Gadeski and I wanted to bring her back for a full discussion because she has a really great story. Alyssa Dela came to triathlon through running. As I mentioned before, she ran professionally and she even finished eighth at the 2012 U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials. And she boasts a blazing fast 231 marathon PR. She also does tell us about some of her run workouts, which are very fun to hear about. But Alyssa Dela, she tells us about making that switch from pro running to pro triathlon and how she landed on the podium four times in just her first pro season. Two years ago, Alyssa was on a training ride when a driver hit her from behind and fled the scene, leaving her unconscious and injured on the side of the road. So she tells us about her recovery and her fight back to the podium and what she still hopes to accomplish in the sport. This is Haley. I'm really excited to welcome a new Ironman podcast sponsor, Prevenix. Prevenix makes premium, clinically effective nutritional supplements that promote longevity, performance, and everyday health, and also donates vitamins to malnourished children with every customer order. My current favorite Prevenix product is Joint Health Plus. The main active ingredients are clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, improve joint flexibility in 7 to 10 days, and protect joint cartilage from breakdown during exercise. So whether joint pain has you moving a little slow at the door on your morning run, or you just want to be sure you can keep the current pep in your step, head to Prevenix.com and use the code IRONWOMAN15 to get 15% off your order. If by chance you don't feel any benefits, Prevenix offers a 100% refund, no questions asked. That's Prevenix, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com and discount code IRONWOMAN15. We know many of you are working with limited pool time and schedules these days. Thanks, COVID. Is it over yet, Haley? No, I think we still have a ways to go, but we do recommend our listeners check out Form Swim Goggles. These goggles have a smart display so you can see the metrics you need in the moment. They even can show distance in open water swimming now. It's a great way to enhance your swim and maximize that limited time. Head to formswim.com to get your hands on these innovative goggles and make the most of the swim time you have. Hi, Alyssa Dela. Welcome back to the Iron Woman podcast. You graciously gave us a post-race recap just hours after Challenge Daytona. And during that interview, you mentioned that you'd actually crashed in the final meters of the bike and still managed to run your way up to 11th place. So how has the recovery been since we last talked? Hopefully you weren't too sore for that car trip home back to Indiana. The car ride home was definitely worse than the car ride there. I'll say that. It's soreness and, you know, it's kind of a bummer driving home like there's excitement going but no not too bad I had the whole week off so I didn't have to do much of anything I was just doing chores around the house and stuff so it's been it's been a fine recovery I will say I felt like I was less body sore than I usually am like actual muscles and I was like I think that means I probably should have run faster if I just hadn't crashed my dang bike so 
but it's been fine. Sometimes I find too, if there's like any bit of road rash or anything like that, it's like that acute pain is almost enough to like mask some of the other like body sore that you, you sometimes have after running. So it could have been that too. I hope so. Cause that would be a real bummer if I had been able to run faster and I just didn't, but that's okay. And so if any of our listeners missed your challenge Daytona recap, we definitely encourage them to listen to that episode from early December, which also included a review of the PTO's maternity and parental leave policies. But we're happy to have you back so we can hear more about your background in sport and triathlon. And triathlon is actually your second professional sport because you were previously a professional runner and you finished eighth at the 2012 U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials in Houston. So can you run us through that first professional sporting career? Yeah, I um, ran in college and um, kind of learned as a sophomore that you could run professionally. I, I didn't know that that was a thing. And it kind of, um, I would say sort of informed my path, um, through college after that, it was kind of the main goal. Um, I would say of kind of my life for a little while, I obviously wanted to get a degree, but I definitely wanted to see how fast I could run after college. And so I was able to join an Olympic development training center, Outside of, or in the northwest corner of um, North Carolina, outside of Blowing Rock, um, it's kind of, App State is there, people have maybe heard of Boone, so it's kind of this like tiny little tucked away town in the mountains, and um, they gave me the opportunity to run there, and I was there for about four and a half years, and was with them when I ran the trials in 2012, and yeah, had some good times there, ran fast, and um yeah, I loved running, but just kind of needed a change after a little while and thought about stepping away from running entirely um, and found triathlon kind of in that in-between time as a way to stay fit and then just ended up doing it this way, I guess. And I guess at that time, like in college, you said that you kind of found out about pro running being possible, right? So what was it that was it like, you know, watching other people kind of graduate and move on to professional running? Or was it like following women and like blogging, I guess, and social media was kind of, it was bigger and like, you know, and so like being able to see that, was that helpful to you or kind of what was the catalyst there? Yeah, I had a really, really good coach at Michigan State, um, Walt Drent, and he had coached at Arizona State for that, and he coached Des Linden there and Amy Craig, and so um, I had finished 10th NCAAs in cross country as a sophomore, and at kind of at our end of the year, end of the season wrap-up for cross, um, I think he just kind of mentioned it in passing, like, you know, you're really good at this, and this is something that people do afterwards which I did not know so it was 100% him that kind of showed me told me that that was even a possibility and then I kind of researched it on my own after that and um, the group that I joined at fitness um, they were kind of one of the ones in the early 2000s um, that recognized that American distance running was not where people wanted it to be I think it was I think it was 2000, we only sent one man and one woman, one woman on um, the marathon team because they were the only people, I think they only had the B standard. And so we, they were the only ones we could send. Um, and that was kind of this like 
oh, wow, for a lot of coaches around the country. And so my coach at DAP and like Brooks Hansen's kind of came around at that point, Team USA Minnesota. Um, there was a Team USA Monterey Bay. Um, those groups kind of sprung up as a way to allow kids after college to solely focus on running and not have to hopefully like Brooks Hansen you worked in the running store they had different ways of supporting their athletes but at Zap we um technically didn't have to work but we were like it was a adult running camp slash retreat center so we were the busboys and the lawn maintenance and the maids and the the guides for people going on runs like we were kind of the jack of all trades that that kept it going but we got a stipend and room and board and health insurance and um all you had to do was run so it was a pretty cool opportunity and i i think that those groups really did change kind of the face and the the future of american distance running because we've obviously gotten better and better since then and with OTC and you know all kinds of groups sprang up after that and um yeah they just they did a lot for a lot of people um and so I'm really grateful that I had that opportunity to to join them there and so I've spent most of 2020 bragging about my 304th place finish at the 2020 U.S. Marathon trials (laughs) but you finished eighth at that same race in 2012 so that's only five spots away from making the U.S. Olympic team can you tell us about that specific race yeah, yeah. Um, and actually for 24 hours, I was I was the alternate for Des London. And if she hadn't, if she had chosen not to race, then I would have gone to London, which I fully understand why she started. I feel like people in the running world still kind of get mad at her that she took this fat. I'm like, why would, I mean, she knew she wasn't 100% and probably wouldn't finish, but I mean... I would have done the same thing. So for a split second, I was like, maybe I'll get to go, but she chose to start, which is fine. But yeah, that race is actually huge for me. I think I entered the race, maybe ranked in the thirties. Um, and just, yeah, it was an incredible day. Um, my coach had, um, set out a race plan for me that we would try to run 545 pace. And my previous PR was 237. I'd only run two other marathons. Um, one being the, um, world championship marathon in Daegu, South Korea. It was crazy hot. And so I think I was fitter than what I ran that day, but it was like, I don't know, 85% humidity and 87 degrees, something stupid. And so going into that race, the idea of like running 545 is pretty scary because I had not done that. I'd run six minute base and, um, that felt like a really, really big jump. But I like to tell people, if you have a coach that you can believe in hundred percent, you can just turn off your brain and do what they tell you to do and believe that they wouldn't ask you to do something that your body couldn't handle and kind of take some of the pressure off of you. I was really nervous going into it and just remember thinking, well, I'll run five, four, five face as long as I can. And if the wheels fall off, it's not my fault. It's his fault. Like he told me to do it. So it just kind of made it, um, just a little bit less pressure, but yeah, I just, um, I remember the race kind of split, like women went, there was like a lead group. And then I was with kind of a really big pack through like, I don't know, mile 10. And I was, it was a little slow and I just was like, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So pulled away and I ran most of the race by myself, just passing people, passing people, passing people. And it was kind of just a real experience passing 
um, women that I had idolized, like Jen Rhymes and, um, oh, Katie McGregor and just people that as I'm passing them, I'm like, well, this is weird. I don't think I'm supposed to be here. Well, this is weird. I don't think I'm supposed to be here. And just, but I was running well. So I was like, okay, just keep going, you know? And yeah, so finishing eighth was pretty cool. And it, it made me really excited for the future, which I think that's why we do sport is like we get little tastes of the good things and it keeps us going, motivates us for a long time to come. And that was definitely a, a race that kept me going for a while. What does it mean to be the alternate? Like where you said you were alternate for 24 hours. Were you in London, like just in case Des didn't start? Or were you like on the ground, like, okay, I'll get on a flight if I need to? Yeah. So I was still in North Carolina, but she had like a deadline where she had to say, like they knew she was, like she was deciding whether she could start or not. So she had like a deadline to this point. And then, yeah, then I would have gone. So, so it was were like you they training, knew. like you might get to go. That was the terrible part was I, like, I had taken a, I was like, and my friends were like the people I lived with and trained with. I was like, I can't go. Like, I just took a break. Like I've only been running for like two weeks. Like I'm not training. Like, and they were, I was like, I'm going to have to say no. And they were like, are you kidding me? Like you're going. And I was like, I mean, I'm not, it was, it was so silly. Cause my first reaction was like, I can't possibly go. I'm not in shape, but I mean, it would have been fine. I'm sure. Yeah. Did you miss out being on the start line in Atlanta this February, 2020 at all? Or like, you know, it was such a big race this year. Did you miss that hype a little bit? Yeah, I've missed it both times. Like 2016, I missed it. it it's hard. You know, I feel like there's like this, there's still a tug sometimes less in the marathon and more, um, cross country. I love cross country. So like every two years when world cross comes around, I, I really feel it then too, but yeah, the marathon this year seemed really, really special and friends were running it and people from my community were going and yeah. So there's definitely still a part of me that just like, it's like, Oh, maybe I should stop and start running again. But I mean, you gotta make a choice. So I'll stick with triathlon, but I do miss it. Alyssa, before Daytona, you were quoted in the New York Times, and that article focused on the race and the PTO, but included your perspective on the financial hurdles of switching from a professional running to a professional triathlon career. And in that, you mentioned an estimated $20,000 initial investment from when you made the switch between sports. So first, what is it like to talk about your income in the New York Times? Like, did you hear a lot from friends and family who were reading that? How did that all go down? People were really supportive. I mean, it did feel, we talked about so many things that I I didn't know he was going to focus just on, that that was what my quote was going to be. So I was like, oh, I kind of wish he hadn't picked that one. But it's a, you know, it's a very true and important part of the sport. And I think I was really naive coming into it. Just things add up so fast. I feel like it's like constantly something that you're buying or replacing or whatever. And so, well, I kind of wish we hadn't chosen to use that one. It's fine because it's, you know, it's true. And I think people, especially, I mean, I don't know there's that many people coming from running, trying to go pro, but just an understanding of, what that financial upfront situation looks like, I think is kind of important. So I don't mind, I guess, that he used it, but it was a little bit like, oh. I think there are a lot of us out there who can relate to that. <laughs> that those early days when you do, you have to get 
the gear, right? When you have, when you want to be getting, especially to that, the top level, it's um, definitely a big investment for the gear to get you started. So what was it that inspired you to invest, you know, to be like, okay, this is a risk I'm willing to take and invest that money to make the switch. I started out on borrowed virtually everything. Um, my sister is a nurse who worked with a doctor who just happened to be the same size as me. So I borrowed a bike from him. Um, I borrowed, you know, wetsuits, I borrowed wheels, I borrowed everything the first year that I was just kind of trying it. I kind of thought that I would, um, try triathlon. We were getting married and I just felt like I shouldn't just stop running cold Turkey. And I, I wanted to do something else, but running just, I couldn't just do that at that time. Um, and so I thought it sounded fun. So I was like, Oh, I'll just do it while I figure out if I want to try and get a job. If I want to, we were also moving, I was living in Indiana and we were moving to Asheville. So it was just a really like a time of upheaval in a way, just a lot of life changes. And so maybe I was going to go to grad school. Maybe I was going to get a job. Like I just wasn't really sure. So I thought I would try it. So borrowed everything. And then, um, I did some races and did age group nationals and one. And I think that was kind of our initial, like, okay, like you can get your pro card. You can kind of see. And even then we had a lot of help. Um, my husband had a boss along the way who had a old truck frame that had something wrong with it, but they, he, he could trade it in. So he just traded it in for my size. Like just, so many people were willing to like come alongside that helped a lot along the way. And it just felt like an opportunity to try something. Um, my husband was really intrigued and wanted me to see where it went. And so it just sort of happened as we went along and, and I guess the money sort of piled up as we went along too. I mean, we were aware and chose it, but, um, yeah, it just kind of organically happened and we were willing to make those investments because it felt like there were glimpses of like, okay, this could work out and, and it could be something where eventually we'll make money. And so once you made that switch, you certainly really wasted no time getting onto even the top step of the podium. I think in 2016, you won four of your first five triathlons, including that age group national championship you mentioned. You took your pro card and you landed on four pro podiums in 2017, including a second place finish at Eagle Man and Steelhead 70.3s. And you were named the USAT Elite Rookie of the Year. So how did your first year training and racing as a pro triathlete compare to your previous life as a pro runner? It's interesting because I love running so much and running is my first love. I enjoy it so much, but I knew in my running career that I could be one of the best Americans and never just realistically never podium at a world championship, never, um, you know, podium at an Olympics, like just probably really let's just call a spade a spade. Not going to happen for me even if I was one of the top Americans, just talent wise and depth of field. Um, so you know, switching over to, and I felt really good about my career. I felt really great about it. I felt good about the PRs that I ran. I felt good about, um, I mean, different things went wrong, especially 
end of 2012, 2013, I had really 14, had really rough years, but I can, I look back at my running career with um, a lot of pride and feel really good about it, but making a switch to a whole different sport and then making money right away as a pro winning or like being on podiums and then also just being on podiums. I mean, I knew going through my running career that I might not ever win a race. Like, and I could feel really, really good about it. Maybe, you know, some of the smaller road races, but I probably was never going to win Boston. Probably was never going to win New York. You know, probably wasn't ever going to win, which I was fine with in that. But switching to triathlon and having this like opportunity where, okay, I'm podiuming and I could win definitely was super encouraging. And, um, yeah, help to kind of make it, you know, it's fun to feel good at something. So definitely made it more enjoyable too, as I, as I switched. What about the training part? I'm curious just about when you add in, um, I imagine you ran like quite a bit before, (laughs) obviously when you're training for marathon and then you're adding in the swim and the bike, like, did it feel good to kind of back off the run a little bit and do something different? Well, it's really funny because I'm going to throw some of my former runner friends under the bus here, but we used to make fun of triathletes and be like, they're the ones who can't run. Like they just choose triathlon because they can't run. And we'd have, cause it was a like a treat center. So we'd have triathletes come um, stay and train and stuff. And we would just be like, Oh, it's really kind of sad that they have to do that. Like, cause they can <laughs> run. And so we were very snobby, like very snobby about it. And then I switched and I was like, guys like I've never been more tired in my life I've never worked this hard like we thought it was hard running 130 miles a week and it is just not I'm sorry it's not and so really opened my eyes I was like I take back everything I ever said about them I apologize triathletes you're strong and um yeah so it actually was a huge change just I never really I had friends who would like take a nap every day as runners and like I was always the one, like, when we had camps, we would have a chef that did the cooking, and I would spend my afternoons, like, hanging out with him, peeling peaches, like, making, like, we would make stuff together, and I would, like, be a little sous chef sometimes, and never take a nap. I would never take a nap. I was never that tired. Like, I was like, yeah, let's just keep going, you know? And now I'm like, if I don't take a nap, I'm dead. Like, it is just crazy to me how much harder it is um so that was like definitely a huge change running less was a huge change um because they do love it so there's an aspect that like I kind of miss doubles I miss you know super long long runs stuff like that but I also really like riding a bike and um learn to love swimming maybe not uh super in love with it <laughs> but that was a big change too I stopped swimming when I was a sophomore in high school I'd grown up swimming um just kind of for a lot of reasons as the middle schooler and then freshman and sophomore year I had like stopped loving it but I kept doing it because my sister was doing it but anyway I had, I hated getting wet hated 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 getting wet like that was the worst possible thing and the last like sectional meet I did or whatever I told my dad like I'm never ever getting again I'm never swimming again and he thinks it's hysterical that he's like well that you know it didn't last <laughs> you're swimming again like, oh. so there's parts I love and parts that you know I still don't like anyway 
It's so ironic that like multiple people in your past got to be like, wait a second, you're doing triathlon. Oh yeah. <laughs> and my dad, and my your dad, dad also, like you made all these promises you just couldn't keep. <laughs> no, my dad also thinks it's so funny. Cause he's like, I told you, you should have been doing triathlon a long time ago. I told you you'd be good at it. And I'm like, ugh, all right, dad, you're right. <clears throat> Alyssa, in January of 2018, you were riding outside of Asheville, North Carolina, when a man driving a truck hit you from behind. This crash left you unconscious in a ditch, and the driver did leave the scene. Sometime later, another driver saw your bike lights flashing and spotted you in a ditch off the road and called the ambulance. You did an interview with Sarah Wassner Flynn for Triathlete Magazine in 2019 that recapped the crash, your extensive injuries, and what turned into a multi-year recovery for you. So looking back now, two years later, how are you feeling about the crash? I mean, it still bums me out. Um, I think looking back on different parts of my life, like middle school was really hard for me. I had some really weird health stuff um, that now looking back, I'm like, okay, I can see the good in that. Like I got to spend a lot of extra time with my mom because I couldn't play soccer. I couldn't swim. I just went home with my mom every day and I got spent a lot of good time with my brother and that was great. Um, so it's like, I can look back and see good out of that. Um, and just like other different, you know, when you go through hard stuff and later you can look back and say like, okay, I can see where that was good. I don't know that I'm there yet with that. Um, you know, just in that I was on such like, seemingly good trajectory within triathlon I was so excited for 2018 we had like big goals I felt like big goals that were attainable um and so it was just like 11 days into 2018 and it's like okay this is gonna look a lot different than what you thought it was going to so it's just still kind of hard to look back because I feel like it informed you know 2018 and the beginning of 2019 in a way that I definitely wouldn't have chosen and that just kind of made it hard to hold on um my husband is really the reason I stuck with it I I said we we kind of make checkpoints you know because it it's been expensive and there's also the opportunity cost like the other thing you would be doing if you weren't doing this that as I get older feels you know bigger and bigger what you've given up. Um, and so I had said after the race or after the accident that I'd give it one year. And he was like, Alyssa, you got hit by a pickup truck. Like one year is not enough. And he said, he said two, give it two. And I reluctantly said, okay. And even in the middle of 2019, I was like, well, it's going to be like, we're moving on. Cause I just wasn't. I raced twice and it was bad and um, I'm too old to like, in my mind, like do it in a way that I'm not excelling. You know, there's just other things to be doing. This is great and I love it, but I've lived the dream. Like I've done that of like, I'm trying to do this thing. And so for me, it feels like it important and time sensitive just as I get older. Um, and so I'm glad he said two years because then end of 2019, I podiumed again in the three races that I did. And that felt hopeful, you know, like, okay, I'm not 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good at this. I'm not, not good. And so you can keep going. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's just, it's funny. I feel like the, the accident happened and it just kind of, I still just kind of feel like it happened. Like, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel, I don't, I don't feel particularly bad about it. It just feels like it happened and it was a pretty big bummer and it's still a pretty big bummer. Like I can't quite put a positive spin on it yet, but hopefully someday I can. Local authorities were able to find and arrest the driver, but you decided not to pursue legal action and the charges against him were ultimately dropped. Can you tell us about that decision? Yeah, I feel like that makes us sound like really forgiving, but at the same, you know, there wasn't anything. I, okay, forgive him, but it's kind of like forgiving no one because I never met him. I never saw him. I never he left. I have no, there's like no picture of him really in my brain, except for I think a mugshot that I saw. Um, so it kind of makes it us not do anything, but there wasn't anything to do. Like he, we live in an area with so much money. Like it's, a, it's a, like an equestrian area. So there's like, it's, they have this amazing equestrian center. There's so many people with horses, like million dollar horses. And I got hit by a man who had nothing. <laughs> So it was like, you can't squeeze money out of a rock. Like we would have sought compensation, not like to be punitive, but just in the fact that like, I made $750 in 2018. Like that was it versus like the path that it appeared that I was going to be on, Um, you know, but we weren't going to like sue him for his social security. He just didn't have any, you know, there wasn't anything that wasn't going to make it better, you know, to try and. I don't know, take his home, his land. Like, I don't know. It was like, he had a little bit, but it was like, that's not, not going to make anybody feel better. It's not going to make it change. My feelings were just mostly hurt that he left and, you know, more than likely he was drinking. So he says he doesn't remember it. And he really, he really might not. That was the thing was like, I was really mad about that too. I was like, how could he not remember it? He hit a person and like hurt my feelings. Like, which is so weird to say, but when my husband told me, I just cried in the hospital. Just kept saying he left me. Like, I just can't imagine leaving a person. But he might not have known. Like, he might have just thought he went over a pothole or something, you know. And so, yeah, just there wasn't a lot to do, I guess. And not a lot that probably would have made it better anyway. We know your physical injuries were extensive. They included a concussion, two fractured vertebrae, a broken ulna, a broken metacarpal, and various ligament strains. And those physical injuries required several surgeries and months of physical therapy. But can you tell us a little bit about how your mental health was going through it? I mean, the whole thing sounds very traumatic on a lot of levels. So did you have, it sounds like your husband was maybe kind of a lifeline to helping you recover psychologically. How did you kind of get yourself through that aspect and you know I imagine it could be still ongoing it seems um yeah I I think I'm really lucky that I don't I don't remember any of it um I I remember like halfway through the ride and then I kind of have like a fuzzy memory of laying by the side of the road and just I thought I was dreaming so I don't even know if I do actually remember that um I think that really helped me be able to get back on my bike again. I don't know that I, I think it would have been a much harder road. I hope I would have ridden again, but I think it would have been a lot, a lot harder to ride again. Um, 
but yeah, it was just, it was a lot of just, I, I rode with people like the first time I rode outside. I, did, I didn't ride with any, I didn't ride alone for a long time till we moved back here. So it was probably like six months maybe where I just, I went with friends every time I went. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it was just a lot of like not letting myself think about some things. Like for a while after the accident, it was hard driving because I wasn't riding yet, but even just driving, I would like seeing roadkill was hard. Like I would just be like, that felt like a really visual representation of like what that truck did and what cars can do and what can happen. Like he could have smushed me. Like I remember saying that to my husband, like he, he could have smushed me, which I think he thought I was crazy for like crying at raccoons on the side of the road, but it just felt like that was me. Um, and I really had to work hard to not, as I was riding or as I was driving I would think like oh I what would have happened if I had like been hit into that pole or what would have happened if I had been hit into that barbed wire or what would have happened if I like it just I would just like think of these things like all the time like what would have happened if I went there went there and that was just like I just had to stop like just worked at like thinking about other things like occupying my mind in other ways um but we were just really slow getting back into it and I think that helped and just um yeah Kyle was huge and my friends were big and talking through it and my family um so yeah it was just a bummer but you get through stuff Alyssa a driver hit me in 2015 and like you kind of mentioned it really changed how I drive and so I think like you you alluded to, I have more respect for the power I have when I'm driving and I try to respect that power and drive with more focus and more patience. So I imagine most of our listeners are also drivers and we don't always get specific education for how to drive around cyclists or even um, even though we are cyclists ourselves. So I'm curious about, you know, besides seeing things on the road, has your own crash had any impact on how you feel when you're behind the wheel of a car? Oh my God, yeah. Like... I am a grandma when I drive now. Like I'm the person that people probably get upset with, but in my car, I'm like screaming back at them. Like it's a speed limit, not the starting point. Like I'm like passionate about that. It's a limit. Like you're really upset about that. Um, just stuff like that. That I'm like, I will not speed. I am just, I feel like we're so casual getting into our cars that they're two tons of a potential murder weapon that we are just driving around like it's nothing and so yeah it really has totally changed the way I mean it was like a crazy driver before but just I feel a lot more aware of that I'm in this car and I shouldn't be just acting like it's a part of me that I you know the way that we're so just like used to it you know which is great because you're you know we've reached competency at driving but that it just feels like it's a lot more important to pay attention than I think a lot of people maybe do Alyssa in late 2019 as you talked about so this was about a year and a half after your crash you returned to the triathlon podium in not one but three consecutive 70.3s with two thirds and a second place finish in Traverse City, Waco, and Indian Wells, respectively. 
did it feel like all of that time you spent recovering from surgery in physical therapy, getting yourself back on the road? Did it feel like it was all worth it at this point? Yeah, I think it felt, um, it definitely felt validating as if I had a future. I think for a lot of my struggle within that time was just that I didn't feel like maybe I, I should be doing it, that I belonged or that like, it's kind of what led me to leaving running was I had had 2011, 2012 were really great years. Even start of 2013 was really great. And then 2014 just had some bad luck. 2015 had some bad luck. And I felt like I came into my marriage, like not contributing anything, even though like my husband did not make me feel that way at all. Um, I just felt like I've always wanted to be just contributing. Like I, I want to feel like I'm adding something to our family financially. Um, even though I had, I had saved a ton in those years, like living at ZAP was amazing because we hadn't, I had no expenses other than my car insurance. So my stipend and all my prize money and bonuses all went, I just saved. Um, so it just, I had felt a lot of pressure that I was putting on myself to contribute. And, um, so yeah, it just felt like, okay, this can be like a viable thing that I'm doing in a way that isn't just going to be this like financial drain on my family. Um, and just like, yeah, validating of the hard work that I had been doing that just wasn't paying off. I mean, I think we've all been there of feeling like we're beating our head against a brick wall and not seeing it translate. And that's what I kind of felt like in the first couple of races I did in 2019. Um, I had ended up having knee surgery at the end of 2018, like, bones had healed and everything. And then like end of October, 2018, I had knee surgery. And so just, it felt like it had kept on going and you're doing work, but it's, you're not seeing anything come out of it. And so that felt good to just, which, you know, we tell people like be consistent and you'll reap the rewards eventually, but it's a lot harder when it's yourself. They're like, keep going. You will like, there will be light at the end of the tunnel. And it finally felt good to see light. In another interview, I read that your grandmothers are your inspiration. And normally we don't talk about wedding photos on this podcast, but you posted a photo from your wedding and your grandmothers were actually your bridesmaids. So can you tell me about your grandmothers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my two grandmas were bridesmaids and my husband's um, grandma too. They were 86, 86, and 96 in our wedding. So it was... It was just special. My husband has a lot of friends, so his bridal party kept growing, and mine, I just didn't, I just wanted it to be my family. My brother was my man of honor, my sisters, his sisters, and then I was like, well, my grandma is like, they're always going to be there. They've been here forever. Like, they're going to, so it was, it was super special. They had a great time. One of my grandmas had never been a bridesman before, and um, yeah, so they, they just thought it was, they got a kick out of it, but my grandmas are definitely the women in my family are my inspiration. And I would say my grandmas, especially my mom's mom was like the most firecracker of a woman you've ever met. Like she's, I'm not that I avoid confrontation. Like it is the plague. I will make a situation worse just to avoid confrontation. It is a problem. And my grandma would just, she would take, this is, 
just bonkers. She would make them, like, before she bought a watermelon in the grocery store, she would request that they cut it open so she could try it, and they would do it. Wow. <laughs> or or she would take it out to her car where she had brought a knife and a Tupperware container, and she would cut it there. And if it didn't taste good, she would take it back. Oh like, gosh. this is just, she was... She was probably in her 80s, and she had asked my mom to come over and myself to help her move her bedroom furniture. Furniture, like She had this great big dresser with a mirror, like two sets of dress, two sets of drawers on both sides. And we, were, we weren't even late, but she had got tired of waiting. And she's like, I don't know where you guys have been. I already moved it. And I was like, what? And I went and tried to move it. I couldn't make it budge. I was like, Grandma. How did you do that? I was probably 20 years old. She goes, if you get angry enough, you can do anything. I just stood here and I got madder and madder and then I moved it. (laughs) She was just like this who of a woman who was also like so generous and kind and wonderful, but also just wouldn't let anything stand in her way and so she's very inspirational on my mom's side and then my dad's mom could not be more opposite easygoing gentle as can be but was a single mom who worked her way up to the vp of a bank she learned how to code she was like one of the first like programmers at her bank and um just like i think i'm a lot like her like quietly competitive quietly motivated but nice as like just nice as you could be, you wouldn't guess that she was that way. But super um, driven, and she just yeah became a VP. And oh, she could have tried out for the Daisy League. So like you know the the League of Our Own League, they wanted her to try out, but she said no, because, which always cracks me up because like what am I doing? I have muscles, but she was like I didn't want to have muscles like those girls. <laughs> They're just funny and wonderful. And she's still alive, but my mom's mom has since passed away. She passed away. It'll be two years this Christmas. And yeah, so when I'm like, when things get hard on the bike, I a lot of times it's on the bike. I, I like to think about them and just, you know, what would, they wouldn't give up. They would keep going. And it goes on through my family. Like my mom's amazing. My dad's sister was just like, the snarkiest, most wonderful woman. And I just always like scroll through, you know, my aunts, my sisters, just, and it means a lot more that way. I think just thinking about the fact that they're rooting you on and they wouldn't give up and um, you can, you can do a lot if you just get mad enough. I love that. I think there's definitely going to be some of us who have listened to the story now who take that with us into some other things as well. So Alyssa, careful listeners might notice we've noted seven podium finisher finishes in your relatively short career. And when we talked to you after your 11th place finish in Daytona, you mentioned still wanting more. So can we ask what's that more you dream of? Is there a particular race that would feel pretty good? What's, what's kind of the pinnacle for you? Well, I definitely like to win. Um, I feel like that's kind of eluded me a little bit. Um, I'd like to win. I just want to, you know, I think what motivated me in running, what motivates me now is like just getting to see where you stack up with other women. And um, there's obviously amazing women in this sport. And so just continuing to see what I can do by comparison. And then also against myself. Like I think 
what keeps you going long-term is being internally motivated. And I just want to see how much faster I can keep getting, how much faster I can run off of the bike. You know, I think I'm, I'm coached by David Tilbury Davis. And I think he's kind of the first coach I've had that has wanted to like really utilize running as a weapon at the end and, and is capable of, of sharpening it. And so I'm really curious and anxious and excited to see how fast we can get. And and hopefully I can swim a little faster too, because I'm not that great at that. But I had a really good swim at Daytona, so that was encouraging for me anyway. Like probably not for other people, but for me it was good. And um, yeah, so I think just like I think as athletes we're optimistic, but we're also greedy. And I definitely have that greedy side where otherwise you just stop. You know, you wouldn't want any more. But I definitely keep wanting more. And I guess the day I stop wanting more is the day I'll probably stop. And so during the pandemic, a lot of triathletes have turned to virtual running races as a chance to work on some of their run speeds. So given your background, can you share a favorite workout that might help a triathlete get ready to run whenever races resume? Yeah, I, David actually asked me this this year, like a, um, a favorite run workout. And I kicked myself after I told him, because I was like, that means I have to do it. <laughs> and that's pretty mad at them after I did it. But I was like, I did this to myself. Um, but one of my favorite favorite workouts was um, a cross-country workout. And I love cross. I mentioned that before. I mean, I just think it's it's fun. It's challenging. It's strength-based. Um, and so we used to do this one at Zap where um, you would start with like a fast, you know, like 3K, 5K race pace probably mile maybe a little faster um so hard mile and then for cross we'd go we'd run off onto grass and do like 1k repeats on the grass and then come back to the track for hopefully a faster mile than your first one um and so we did that a decent amount this fall and I love it because it's you know you put a bunch of crap in your legs after that hard mile and then you go and try and run you know race pace and have it you know focus on like feeling that feeling strong finding that rhythm running that way when you're hurting already a little bit like just getting used to being uncomfortable um in those middle k's and then coming back to the track and really having to dig for that last that last mile a little bit so i love that one i think it's great and last we can't let you go without asking you about your dogs. So can you tell us a little bit about Frankie and Zip Van Wrinkle? Yes, you I hope you didn't catch too much of their snuffling noises, but Zip especially is he's a bulldog. He's gross. He makes gross noises. He, you know, but he's so cute. He's so cute. Um yeah, he's two years old, and then Frankie is a four-year-old Great Dane who has not lifted her head once in like <laughs> hours she's so lazy she does nothing except worry about when the next food is and walking but they're sweet we love them they're they're our special little babies well thank you so much Alyssa, for giving us a little bit more of your background story we're so glad you came back to the podcast and we wish you the best of luck in 2021 hopefully we see you back on a start line in not too much not too distant future Thank you so much for having me. It was really nice to talk to you guys. Haley, I've been doing some research on winter adventures and hiking, and guess what one of the most important gear pieces is for winter hiking? Hmm. A really warm coat, snowshoes, an ice axe? 
Okay, well, maybe those, but also sunscreen. It's not just a summer product, and that is why my Zelios Sun Barrier is still at the top of my pack. Thanks for the tip, Alyssa. If any of our listeners want to top off their hiking packs with Zilio's Sun Barrier or their gym bags with Zilio's Race Relief Recovery Gel, Swim and Sport Shower Products, or Betwixt Anti-Chafe Chammy Cream, use code IRONWOMEN for 20% off at teamzilios.com. The Iron Women Podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca Sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon, and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps, and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off, so head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021. Okay, Alyssa, as you are preparing for your marathon, hopefully the Myrtle Beach Marathon, are you considering to take Alyssa Dela's advice and do her favorite workout one mile on the track at 3K to 5K race pace? Then you're going to head to some grass. You're going to run a couple of 1K repeats. I'm not sure how many that is, but I mean, somewhere between one, so two and like 20. And then you're going to come back to the track and you're going to run a faster mile. Is that on your race? Is that on your training plan now? Haley, I would need to, I would need to run that first mile all out. And then I would need to like have a hoverboard that goes an off-road hoverboard to like take me through one K's faster than that, because I've already three K to five K pace is my all out pace. So I, I don't know how to get faster than that without mechanical assistance. And then I would have to be on like an e-bike around the track <laughs> to even get a mile faster than that. I think to even pretend to hold like light to that workout. So hopefully what our listeners take from this is that Alyssa Dela is very, very fast and she, she's very fast. Because but also that one, some, some like intensity too, because like just to have like a 3k pace, like a difference between 3k and 5k pace, like to have a difference is like, I mean, you have to be quite even the runner. think about a three day. Yeah. <laughs> but also that one workout will not make or break your race. So you have to do what works for you. You have to believe in the training that you are doing and hold on to that as tight as you can, which is what I plan on doing for the next eight weeks or so. And for Alyssa Gadeski, for what it's worth, I was thinking about that Yasso 800s workout that you were talking about in the in- intro. And I've run a 243 marathon I do not believe I could do 10 800s on 243 without like several days rest in between. Like maybe if there were several days rest and I was like completely rested going into it. So I do think it speaks to different athletes, different things work for different athletes. And is it, is it humane to say there's more than one way to skin a cat? Is there a better, a better, uh, cliche to use? Um, I was talking to someone about that the other day about how they need to go with a better thing to say than that. But I say it all the time, which is why I was like, and every time I caveat it with, I don't know if we should say this anymore, but we'll figure that out for next week. But Alyssa, it was great catching up with you. Enjoy your week and I will talk to you soon. Bye Haley. I'm going to enjoy my nails. I'll give you an update next week. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. 
Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Prevenix, Zelio Skincare, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. You can find all websites and discount codes in our show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com.